All right, okay, three, two, one, set. No, no, oh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good morning, Cedar Valley. Welcome here. This is our one year anniversary of online church service. My name is Grant, one of the pastors here at Cedar Valley Church, and I'm joined this morning by Paige. Hey. <laughs> We're gonna get the service started for you. If this is one of your first times checking us out online, um, a special welcome to you. We'd love to get to know you better and you can help us by doing that by giving us a shout at hello at cedarvalley.ca or even just dropping a comment here. Totally, and one of the best ways for everyone who's joining in here and anyone you know who wants to stay informed about stuff happening at Cedar Valley is to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, or even just head over to our website, cedarvalley.ca. You can scroll to the very bottom there. I think there might even be an annoying pop-up to sign up for our weekly email newsletter because that's just a good summary of uh, devotions, prayer requests, our partner organizations, what's going on with them as well, and just, yeah, ways to kind of be involved with the stuff happening, the ministries here at Cedar Valley. Mm -hmm. And if you've been impacted by the connections at all, whether it's worship or prayer or the messages on Sunday, feel free to hit that share button mm, and boom. spread the news. Totally. And also, while you're on our website, cedarvalley.ca too, you'll find a section there, uh, cedarvalley.ca slash give, which is just if you've come here prepared to give to the financial work uh, and ministry operations, the stuff here that's happening at Cedar Valley that just help us connect to you, help us curate community and really just bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the city of mission here. Uh, you'll find ways to give online. We have different ways of doing that through just, yeah, e-transfer, direct debit, giving, stuff like that. But we're hugely blessed and encouraged and impacted by the stuff that you do. So really this only happens with your support. So thank you for that. Yeah, your support and encouragement has been what's helped us get online and stay online and keep the connections and the content and the community moving through this pandemic. So thank you for that. Yeah, because it is in fact one year of doing online church now. Wow, I, I mean, I didn't think that that happened, but here we are. Here we are, what a year. <laughs> yeah. But hey, that's, that's pretty fun. That's, so that's what we got is uh, three, six, you can grab the three actually, because we got, there's what, that's a year. I couldn't find a one year anniversary for online church, but we got 365 days in a year. Uh, there's a one because it's one year, right? <laughs> uh, actually, that makes this our, that's back, is that 35? 53, is that 53? <laughs> <laughs> this is our 53rd online church service. Hey there, and welcome to Cedar Valley's first ever broadcasted service. And you know, it's not just about the church service that happens on Sunday, right? Like this is just one chunk of it, but there's six other days. <laughs> I'm standing behind it, it's pretty tough to do. Six other days in the week that we are hoping that you can connect and engage with devotional posts, with calling a friend, with creating community and walking as a disciple, following through the scriptures, reading through the gospel of John that we're doing as a church right now, all throughout the week. So. 365 days, one year of online ministry that we are gonna keep going. We're so excited about this. Yeah, um, we can't wait to get you back into the same building, but until mm. then, the online services have been great. I've been thoroughly enjoying with them and connecting with everyone online. Um, we're gonna get the service started here shortly. Mm -hmm. um, we're gonna start with a time of worship. 
Yeah, and after that we have a special lesson for the kids from Pastor Doug. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we also have interactive materials for you parents to just engage with faith conversations at home with your kids and stuff that relates to our Sunday service. And if you're not getting those materials, we send them through email. You can sign up for that or just make sure you get in the loop of that by sending Pastor Doug an email. That's douglas at cedarvalley.ca. And following that, we've got Pastor Rob bringing us through chapter nine of the Gospel of John. Um, we're going through the Gospel of John one chapter a week, and we're hoping you're reading along and digging into the Word with us. Absolutely. Before we get into all of that, one year, I kind of want to dwell on that a bit, because it's fun, <laughs> right? We got party poppers, because we're stepping up our game here. It, it's kind of a funny anniversary to celebrate though, right? Like we can't wait until we're back in the same building together, but we have seen how God just moves beyond and is really impacting us, impacting the whole community around us, and even a little bit of international worldwide with Cedar Valley outside of this building. But hey, I don't see us turning this into an anniversary, you know, no. probably not the next year or whatever. We'll celebrate it this time, but... We'll keep it here. Yeah. <laughs> keep it at one. It would be fun though. Like, what are some other things that might be kind of fun to celebrate an anniversary yeah. that aren't normally celebrated? First time drinking coffee. Oh, <laughs> or that you liked coffee at least, maybe. Yeah, first time you drank coffee yeah. and liked it. I mean, I'm, I'm so stuck with food stuff because all we talk about on the stream is food stuff. But like, mm. I remember the first time I had stuffed crust pizza mm. and I would probably make that an anniversary event. Maybe it could be a little bit more serious. Like the first time you actually rode a bike successfully, maybe with no handlebars even, mm -hmm. right? Maybe it's the first time you graduate. Yeah, or moved out of your parents' or house. Or moved out. That's a good one. <laughs> hey, probably the first time you saw uh, Avengers Endgame. Oh. That was a moment. That was a moment. In my life. Hey, head over to the comment section of Facebook or YouTube Cedar Valley. Let us know what kind of things would be fun anniversary things to celebrate that aren't normally celebrated, stuff like that in your life. It'll be a fun engagement. After that, we're in for a great service. Mm -hmm. Thanks for joining.
There's a grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. When I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There is another ring of fire standing next to me. There is another ring of waters holding back the sea. And should I ever be reminded of how I've been set free, there is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There is another in the fire. Oh, my damn, that put death beneath the waters. I'm no longer a slave to my sin anymore. Should I fall in the space between all the names of me and the strength of me? Either way, I will bow to the things of this world. Send me free There is a grace that holds no back
Hey there, Cedar Valley kids. Good to see you today. Actually, you know what? I can't really see you because today I'm talking into a camera, but I say that often, don't I? So really, it's good to be with you today. But talking about seeing, that's what our story is about today. Now, last week we talked about darkness, and especially darkness that goes into our heart, and how Jesus is the light for us. But this week, we go from darkness to blindness. Well, you know, we had a really good friend who was blind. Her name was Andy, and she was actually part of this church a bunch of years ago. But then she moved away to, uh, to a different town, actually on the far side of the country. Well, it was amazing, even though Andy was blind, she could do so many things that people who can see really good. Did you know that um, she would go to the movies with Jenny? And um, she loved to bake. And her husband liked to eat, so that was a good thing. She could cook and she could bake and do all kinds of stuff. She would even take the bus from her house downtown to do shopping and go to appointments and come back, even though she couldn't see. Well, one day, she decided that she was going to bake something special for her husband because he loved her baking and he really loved blueberry muffins. So, while he went off to work, she set about getting all of her ingredients. And she got her bowls and the different ingredients and her spoons. And, and she started to mix up the batter. And, and then when it was ready for the blueberries, she opened the freezer. She reached in and she felt around and she grabbed the bag. And yep, blueberries. And she pulled them out and she dumped them into the batter, mixed it all up poured it into the muffin tins, and very carefully put them in the oven. And then she sat back, and she waited. And she was doing some things in the kitchen, cleaning up a little bit. And she could smell, oh, that aroma of fresh baking. Smelled so good. But then there was a very, very odd aroma that was coming out of the oven along with the nice baking and she couldn't quite figure it out. She says, that's really, really strange and it would smell like that. She said, well, maybe something spilt in the oven last time I baked and of course, because I couldn't see it, I didn't notice and now that's heating up, it's kind of re-baking maybe, maybe the supper that we put in the oven yesterday. So she didn't think too much about it. And then she, when they were done, she got her oven mitts on and she pulled them out and she set the muffins right on the table and she just waited till her husband got home. And so he came home and he was all excited. He goes, hmm, you've been baking? She goes, yes. And he goes, what have you been baking? He says, oh, your favorite. He goes, really? And he was excited. He says, they smell a little bit weird. And he reached down and he smelt it. And he goes, hmm. I'm not sure about this. And he goes, what? What's wrong? I baked you your favorite. And he goes, 
since when is my favorite, because he could see, he opened the muffin up. And do you see what's inside? Peas. He goes, when is my favorite muffin? Pea muffins. He goes, that's not a thing. And he goes, oh, and he didn't even want to take a bite. Well, you probably didn't know this, and I didn't either. But if you reach into your freezer for blueberries, and you can't see, and you feel the bag, did you know that they feel almost exactly like a bag of frozen peas? And Andy felt around to what she thought was blueberries, and she got peas instead, and made her husband an incredible batch of pea muffins. So they had a good laugh, and they learned about that one. So I was going to ask here, maybe if, uh, if Pastor Grant wants to have a bite and tell us how good they are. Oh, he's brave enough too. I didn't think he would. <laughs> right, we're gonna we're gonna do a we're gonna do a taste mm -hmm. test here. And what what, what savory, do you think? A savory muffin. I like the lemon flavor, but yeah, mm -hmm. that, that crunch inside is not what I. It, it's of. not what you're expecting, right? Well, you know what? Uh, we've got a whole tray of good blueberry ones here. So oh. just for being a sport, I'm gonna give him one of those that he can have. Well, when Jesus meets a man who is blind, and this story is in John chapter 9, Jesus made some mud, he put it on his eyes, pressed it up in his eyes, and he told him, go over to that pool over there and wash it off. And the man did, and he went there, he washed the mud off, and he could see. Now, this man had never been able to see before in his life. He was born blind. Can you imagine not being able to see the colors and the shapes and, and the beauty of all of the things in our world? And now he could see them. Now, Jesus making mud and putting it on the man's eyes, it seems like kind of a weird way to do a miracle. But you know what? Jesus can do a miracle any way he wants. And this story in the Bible shows us that the power of God was in Jesus. And then in John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus says, I came to give sight to the blind. And you know, not just to people who actually can't see physically, and but he used this man, he gave him the greatest joy to be able to see as an example of how he brings sight to us. See, Jesus helps us see God, to open our eyes to God's great love. He helps us to see the wrong in our life so that by believing in Jesus, through his life for us, now we can see the love of God and the wonder of Jesus, and then we can do the right things in life that God desires us to do. So, what an incredible story of a man being able to see, 
And Jesus, I came to give sight to the blind. That's us when we couldn't see Jesus and believe in him. Now we can see the glory of God because of Jesus. That's incredible. Thanks, guys. We will see you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, Cedar Valley, things are ramping up. John chapter nine heightens the tension between Jesus and his followers and the religious leaders of his day who despise him. Prior to this chapter, Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of those who claimed to know the scriptures, but rejected what they said, especially what they said about him. And he challenged the religious tradition in understanding the Sabbath by healing on it, which was a no-no according to those religious leaders. He's up to it again in this passage. So let's turn in our Bibles to, uh, or our Bible apps to John chapter 9. We are going to be reading the whole of it together and making stops along the way to reflect and to ask some questions. So I hope you have your coffee. I hope you have settled in and you're comfy and you might want to just take your hands massage your temple maybe even your heart and get ready because we're going at it verses one and two as he jesus went along he saw a blind man from birth his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind because there were several rabbinic theories circulating at that time about the relationship between suffering and sin. Among those theories were that a child could sin in the womb, that the soul of a child could have sinned in a pre-existent state, like neither of which would have been biblically based, and that some suffering is related to the sin of the parents, for which there does seem to be some biblical basis. For instance, when God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. This verse, as preachers like to say, is, is, is a sermon in itself, but I'll say a little bit about it for today. God is jealous, and let's just be careful of our prepositions here, not of us, but for us, for us to have an abundant life, a life in relationship with him, uh, not a life that is hooked to our favorite guitar or a, a car or a boat or our brand new Nikes. And it seems when we choose a life apart from him like that, investing our energy, our life, our enthusiasm, there is there's spiritual residue and momentum and even predisposition to the sins of our fathers and their consequences, especially if we hate God. But let's finish that scripture. Here's the good news. Showing love to a thousand generations, not two or three or four, of those who love me, says the Lord in verse 6 of Exodus 20, and for those who keep my commandments, 
So let me ask, do you assume that the suffering in your life is because you've done something wrong and God is looking to punish you? Because some of us still hold this, this caricature, this archetype that God is looking to punish us. Or do you think that way about other people, like something's happening bad in their lives and oh, God's punishing them? Let's see how Jesus answers this question. In verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So, Jesus' answer is that not all hardship is our fault. While it's true that the choices we make have the greatest impact on our lives, it's also true that bad things happen to those who've done nothing to deserve their particular struggles. Just ask Job. See his story in the Bible in a book named after him. Let's continue. John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. As long as it is day, Jesus went on to say, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So, there's two things here for us to take note of. The first is this. There's work for us to do. Jesus didn't say, I must do the work of him who sent me, did he? He said, we must do the work of him who sent me. And then there's this qualifier, while there is time. Is your heart still beating? Then there is still time to do what God is calling you to do in a given day or week or month or year. So what is God calling you to do? Are you doing it? Are you resisting it? If you aren't resisting it, how's it going? Do you need help? Are you telling stories about it? You're never too old to do something with God and for God and his kingdom. The second thing to take note of here in verses 4 and 5 is Jesus' time in the world was timed. Which for us by way of application is to say that we only have so much time to make up our minds about who Jesus is. To accept him as the lover, healer, and example that John claims he is, or not. And it seems to be human nature that the longer we put off that decision, the more likely it is that we won't make it, which I suppose is a kind of decision. Verses 6 and 7, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, so that's a visual, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Did anyone else go, ooh, when Jesus spat on the ground, made some mud, and rubbed it on the guy's eyes? So it turns out, this was actually pretty common in Jesus' day. People believed that spittle, especially the spittle of somebody really important, had curative powers. Not sure about that, but I am sure about this. Jesus took the methods and customs of his day and he used them. Do we? Do we know the customs of our day? Do we take time to understand the culture in which we live? Do we explain Jesus in ways that make sense to people who don't know him? 
Do we answer their questions about our faith if they ask in ways that are meaningful and relevant? Verses 8 through 12. His neighbors and those who had merely seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. The man they call Jesus. So at first, Jesus was a man to this man, a wonderful man to be sure, who did what no other man had ever done. To him, Jesus was a supreme man among men. Verses 13 through 17, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. There it is again. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do miraculous signs? So they were kind of divided. But it's a question, actually, how can a sinner do miraculous signs that the man himself would note later and that actually get verbally abused for saying so? Finally, in verses 9, or verse 17, chapter 9, finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The man they call Jesus, he is a prophet. And the healed man had good reason to think this way. In the Old Testament, a prophet was tested by the signs he could produce. Moses guaranteed to Pharaoh that he really was God's messenger by the signs and the wonders he performed. Elijah proved that he was the prophet of the real God by doing things the prophets of Baal couldn't do, ending with a little scorched pow on the mountain. This blind man, or should I say this formerly blind man, knew these stories. He knew what Jesus had done for him and stood by him in saying, he's a prophet. Here's a paraphrase of verses 18 through 23. The Jews still didn't believe the man, so they asked his parents. They said, ask him. He can speak for himself. Because they were worried about being excommunicated from the synagogue, the center of Jewish communal life. Verses 25 and 24. Not in that order, but in the 24-25 order. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. In other words, tell the truth in the presence of God. We know this man is a sinner, which is implying something pretty strong. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I'm like, oh, so good. Here's an answer based on experience. Shortly, the man who had been blind will offer an answer based on logic. Neither of which, by the way, will be convincing to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Let me ask you this question. What's one thing you know about Jesus because of your experience of him? Give that some thought. Here's the thing about Jesus. 
There are good reasons to believe in him. But then there are experience to support our belief. Now, I know that that seems like confirmation bias, that we see what we're looking for, that we see what we want to explain it that way. I would just say this, don't we all do this, Christian or not? Don't we all have a bias or a presupposition around reality towards seeing the world in a certain way and then support it with our experience? Isn't there a lens that we look at the world and go, I see it that way, oh, that, I'm gonna interpret it that way in support of how I see it. I'm just saying the confirmation bias of someone who follows Jesus is faith in him that Christians believe in Jesus, so they see the world as a world in which Jesus is at work and is working with them. So, I choose to believe that God healed me of my addiction to alcohol. I choose to believe that God brought about events in my life out of my control that led me to meet my wife. I choose to believe that God called me to the West Coast to be a pastor of a church here 17 years ago. Or, I might say it like this, if I were to borrow from the language of this text, this I know, I was an alcoholic, now I'm not. I was single and now I'm married to one of the most beautiful and extraordinary women I've ever met. I once worked in that dark place known as Ontario, which we affectionately now call the Middle East, but now I live in beautiful BC. And as they say, wise men go west, fools go back. I'm telling you my bias. It's yours to reject or to accept, just as it was for the religious leaders to accept or to reject the answer of the man who was formerly blind. Verses 26 and 27. Then they asked him again, what did he do to you? Like, <laughs> how did he do that? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I, I, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? His disciples too? Had this man already counted himself a follower of Jesus? And I, I, to which I'd sort of say, like, why wouldn't he? I was blind, but now I see. Verses 28 and 29, they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Wait for it. Wait for it. Verses 30 through 33. Here's that logical answer built on the experience. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This is such a good answer from a common man to the religious elite. But it certainly wasn't the answer those religious elite wanted to hear. Here's the logic. Jesus did a wonderful thing. The fact that he did such a wonderful thing means that God hears him. God doesn't listen to the prayers of bad men after all. Therefore, Jesus cannot be a bad man. Or as the religious leaders just implied, a sinner. And the blind man, or formerly blind, he had the support of the scriptures to, to say what he was saying. So one Psalm says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's Psalm 66, verse 18. And then on the flip side, another Psalm says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous 
and his ears toward their cry. That's Psalm 34, verse 15. So uh, we might say it this way. The schooled, the religious elite, just got schooled by the unschooled. To this they replied in verse 34, you are steeped in sin at birth. Choose your rabbinic theory. How dare you lecture to us? And they threw him out. So abuse, uh, insult, threat, nice. Maybe there's a warning here for all of us, though, that the moment we resort to these kinds of things, abuse, um, insult, threat, in any argument, that is the precise moment at which we prove the weakness of our argument. Reading then in verse 34 still, I suppose, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? In other words, do you believe in the long-held hope of your forefathers that God would send someone to put all things right? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe. Jesus said, this is so tender, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. I love this moment. This man began his day and his life blind. Then he wasn't. He was healed by the man they called Jesus, the one he later called a prophet, the one he was about to call Lord. I love this moment because Jesus heard that the man, so he's listening for that, had, he, had been thrown out. And then upon hearing this, Jesus went to find him. Think about that. Jesus went to find him. So I'll ask this question. Does Jesus still go about finding us wherever we are and in whatever condition we find ourselves? The man was abused, insulted, threatened, and thrown out of the synagogue. And yet... There was Jesus. As one writer put it, the Jews cast him out of the temple. The Lord of the temple found him, ostracized by men, accepted by Jesus. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. I love this moment. Jesus went to find him. Then Jesus, in a very personal and private way, revealed to this man that he was the Son of God. John wraps it up, 39, 40, and 41. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus forces everyone to make a judgment call about who he is. This is one of the reasons why he came into the world. Jesus uses the response of the healed man as an example of one aspect of his earthly mission, and that is to separate those who are willing to believe from those who are willfully, spiritually blind. Here's the problem for the religious leaders. Their condemnation lay in the fact that they knew so much and claimed to see so well and yet failed to see. They were blind to the signs that Jesus was, the scriptures and the signs that Jesus was the Son of Man when he came. But the blind man saw it. His story is a fantastic example 
of the evolution of faith. He began by calling Jesus a man. We might say a man among men. He went on to call Jesus a prophet then after, someone who lives close to God and brings the message of God to men. And then finally, he came to confess that Jesus was the Son of Man, the one sent into this world to show us God's love, save us from our sins, shut down religion, and set up his kingdom of love and forgiveness, mercy and justice. Maybe this is how our faith evolved. Maybe this is how people come to faith. Maybe this is a sensible way for us to help people see Jesus. Start with talking about him as a man. Then see him as wise enough to take note of. And then in that progression, judge if he is someone worth following. I'm going to pray in a moment, but as always, we're going to have some post-teaching dialogue that Grant and I will journey with you on. Just two questions about what we've just learned together. So stay tuned for that. Let me pray. Father, oh, there's so much to learn in this story. So it was dense today, and that's okay. I pray that we'll go back to this chapter, reread it, uh, ask these questions of ourselves again and again to check our hearts for any blindness that is there. And in that, Father, they're blind spots for, or they're called that for a reason. We don't see them. So I pray that we would allow people we trust, people we know love us, to point them out so that we can be aware of them and, and that there be healing in them, but also that they would not become barriers to knowing you or knowing you more deeply. In Jesus' powerful and precious name I pray. Amen. Peace, Cedar Valley. Hey, thanks for joining us, everyone. It's been another great morning moving through John chapter 9 this morning. We are whipping through the Gospel of John. We're almost halfway. Yeah, well, you get a chapter a week, right? There's, so again, I'm just going to throw the plug out there. Hopefully you are also reading into it because you mentioned you're moving through the chapter this week, but there's so much. Sometimes we talk about like a verse or a single point yeah. and there's several major life-changing transformational subjects within a single chapter. So. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. mean, I think we could go at the Gospel of John for three years kind of idea. Yeah, absolutely. Doing it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a few questions here, as always. Trying to keep the mind sharp and the heart engaged. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is, what are some ways for us to learn about our culture and mission in BC and in our nation? Right. Uh, as um, we talked about it in the teaching time. Yeah. Well, this one, so it's interesting, both you and I don't actually live in Mission nearby. <laughs> We're in the true. Fraser Valley, which has its kind of subculture already. Yes. Mission has an additionally different subculture, even than Chilliwack, than Abbotsford. Yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, my thought too is even just in making this so it's directly applicable, you might just think, well, I live in Mission, so I totally know. Uh, and as a pushback here too, if you've been part of Cedar Valley Church for a lot of your life, or any church really, and I've grown up in Surrey knowing this too, you can get part of a church kind of Christian-y bubble that actually keeps itself pretty separate from your immediate neighborhood. Yes. So the culture of mission actually needs to yeah. be uh, like culturally exegeted to figure oh. out what's going See, on. See, there's that word. We talked An about that last night, exegeted. Yeah, anthropology. Understood. Yeah. Dig into, learn about. Yeah. So are there, are there ways that you do that? Are there, are there, are there yeah. news feeds? Like, what do you yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so news feeds, uh, yes, yeah, so no, you know what a big Social one? Social media? This happened to me this morning, actually. Okay. Uh, wow. Grabbing Starbucks. Fresh, hot, press stories. Yeah. Grant. 
uh, grab a Starbucks at the Junction. Really nice Starbucks, too, because they're very oh, friendly people. Nice. Uh, we, I wish Shout we had, out to Starbucks at the Junction. Yeah, I, you know, I wish we had a few more coffee shops, too, in Mission. It'd be great. I'd go there. <laughs> but uh, friendly people. And, you know, they say, hey, how's your day going? Something like, oh, it's fine. How's your day going, too? And asking one extra cool question, right? So uh, they just simply said, like, yeah, it's really good weather, too. And I was like, yeah, it's beautiful out here today. Like, yeah, I love it here. And I said, what's so special about Mission to you? And they just told me wow. a little bit. Wow, what a great question. And what yeah. was their answer? Uh, they just said, oh, I, they actually said, well, I kind of want to move out to Vancouver, but they did say they love this small town, beautiful feel. you got the mountains right behind you. Okay. But that, that's my answer more to this. What are some ways that we can learn about our culture is if, head out to First Ave, go to some shops yeah. and don't let the small talk be your only means of communication with shopkeepers, with people serving you food, with uh, waitresses. Ask a question about what is going on? Like, yeah, that's an easy one. Like, why do you like this town you live in? What's so special about this neighborhood? You'll find out some really cool things that really reflect their character hugely. I couldn't agree more. It's a great yeah. example, actually, yeah. of what I would have said immediately. And that is just to sit down with people, ask them about their city. I got to give a shout out to Glenn Cask, by the way. I've been on the Jay Peterman tour twice now with him of mission, all the sights and sounds of what's going on here and the, the lore of the community over the last couple of decades, because he was formerly a reporter here. A guy like Glenn is an archive of that kind of stuff. Mm. So yeah, dig in, get to know people, ask people those kinds of questions. Totally, yeah. Like, why not? And yeah, hit social media. Yeah. There's, there's the City Mission uh, page, Yeah, right? there's a Facebook group for yeah. mission uh, neighbors. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So you can learn some stuff there. Yeah. Might be a little aggressive. <laughs> it can be. Yeah, okay. Our second question today is, do you have a sense of God calling you to do something? Now that all of a sudden, oh my goodness, that's yeah. huge. But in something big or small, and this might actually feel like um, a calling, but it also might be a conviction, a burden, Yeah. like that. Uh, I want to actually almost throw out a, a few things to help us understand what this, like God calling us to do a yeah. thing, because sometimes it's not that obvious, right? Sometimes it's right. not uh, a burning bush that is talking to us that's surprising on the street corner. But for me, the biggest thing I've known, and what you can do is if there's something thematic that is like, just keeps confronting you, whether it's like mm -hmm. the same conversation you seem to be having with different people in all sorts of different areas, if it's at work and your family and friends or at church. Uh, I know a big one for me that's been like, last year we kind of dreamed what we can do here at the church a little bit differently. And there's like a small handful of kids skateboarding. Mm. And I was like, well, I, I kind of knew how to skateboard. I want to try that a little again too. And then all of a sudden I find out a bunch of our youth alumni are, are totally into skateboarding. They're like, oh, we would totally come out. Right. The last couple of weeks as it's like coming up to spring break. Now we've got like two dozen kids skateboarding here at the church. I think that's a theme. <laughs> <laughs> that scares me because I honestly don't want to break both my ankles every second month of the year. But there's a theme of people who want to be ministered to. There's a specific subculture with a activity to bond around. For sure. So. God's brought that, it's laid that in your lap, yeah. right? That's, he's calling you into either engaging it or dismissing it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an opportunity there. I, I love what Hank said in that same meeting last night where we talked about exegesis and mm. what that meant. Um, let ministry come to you, right? Yeah. So it, it, I like that. And then and join it as it happens. And I think, okay, mm -hmm. that, that's true. So, but I think it can be as easy as uh, acknowledging that your day has plans in it because you have things to do, but hmm. being open to interruptions. Oh, like, wow. oh, there's someone there. Oh, why don't I just stop here, hmm. you know, and do that. Things like that. It can be that simple, but it might be something harder, like God is calling you into looking at something 
that's on your mind, has been hurtful, you know, I need to move that forward. Like it might be something like that too. Sure. And, and even this, you have next step, big or small, in yeah. helping you discern through those kind of things, mm. sometimes it can be a little bit of process like, oh, is this, you know, is this God calling me? How can I actually live this out or whatnot? We would love to discuss that with you. We've got yeah. three pastors yeah. here at Cedar Valley Church. Yeah. You can send us a message anytime, hello at Cedar Valley. We will try to get in touch with you. If you want to just dialogue about this kind of stuff, or even if, if you're comfortable, bring it up in the common feed, feed there as well. Um, yeah. We can respond to whatever it there, level perhaps. it is. Yeah, we'd love to yeah. do that. But keep this kind of discussion going at home uh, with some small group. If you got that on Zoom or Skype, anything like that, uh, phone up a friend or family member and make these kind of questions something that lives out in your life this week. Yeah. 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 So thanks, Cedar Valley. <laughs>